Paul finishing out the book of Philippians is um, going to finish out with some really, really practical things. Paul started out the book of Philippians, if you guys remember, by referring to this group of people that he loves who, while he is in prison, have collected an offering to support him. And he commends this guy Epaphroditus, uh, remembering these people, letting them know every time he thinks about them, he remembers them and he prays for them. This group of people, this church that he loves. And as he has gone through to tell them some incredibly important things, some important things about Jesus, some important things about the way that they should interact with one another, Paul now is going to come back at the end of the book and revisit this gift that they gave them. But before he does that, in chapter 4, verse 8, he, uh, he breaks down some, some different things. And I'm, I'm going to break this little section here at the end into four little chunks. And these are the four little ideas that Paul sort of has for us here at the end. Right thoughts, right actions, right perspective, and right intentions. He starts with this idea. Now, we just finished with 4.7, talking about anxiety and worry. And we can easily understand, we can easily see Epaphroditus coming to Paul with this gift. Paul in jail in Rome, and Epaphroditus coming and going, Paul, we heard about you. We heard you're in prison. Are you okay? We've been so worried for you. We've been so you know, concerned for you. What's going on back you know, in Philippi? We're all just praying for you every day, and we're really worried. So we got this together, and I brought it for you, and I, I almost died, but here I am, and I, I, here it is. And Paul looks at Epaphroditus and writes down in this letter, don't be worried. Don't be anxious for anything. But in all things, through prayer, with supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known. Thank you for your concern for me. Thank you for your worry for me. Thank you for your care for me. Pray. Set it before the Lord. But then he takes that, and in verse 8, he says this. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, there's our word, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Paul looks at this church that loves him and he says, yes, your hearts are in chaos, your mind is swirling, you're anxious, you're worried. Set that before the Lord. But also, don't dwell on these things. Instead, set your mind on these other things things that are true and noble, which means of high moral character and standing. We're not talking about the nobility here. We're not talking about, you know, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. We're not worried about them. He says things that are good and virtuous and right. And these things in and of themselves will settle your hearts as well. I remember when uh, COVID, you know, hit in its sort of full swing a year ago. And there was a stage there where uh, my wife came up to me, and my wife is the best person that I know. She just is. She's the most patient. She is the most caring. She is the most loving. And she came up to me and she said, Dave, you're kind of being a jerk. That was very loving of her to say that, by the way. That was an act of love. Uh, And it was right at the start of COVID, and I'm sitting there, I'm going, 
it, it's true. I'm being really like temperamental with my kids. I, I'm short-tempered. I'm, I'm not speaking nicely to my wife. I'm like anxious all the time. I'm getting worried. And I am not an anxious person. In general, I'm not a worried person. Uh, and yet here I was, as all of this chaos was swirling and nobody knew what was true and nobody knew what was going on, and my heart was unsettled. And I had to take a step back and I said, what's different? What's going on? I'm still reading my word. I'm still in the word every day. I'm still praying in the morning. I'm still meeting with Jesus. What else am I doing? And I realized that instead of going to work, instead of doing Bible studies, instead of doing my normal junior high youth group ministry stuff, I was sitting at home all day reading every website, studying every statistic, looking at every graph, worrying about every news report, and I was filling my mind, I was meditating on things that were scary and worrying and anxiety-driving. And what was happening to my heart? The things that I was setting my eyes on were being stored up. And like Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Paul looks at this crew and he says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Here's our, here's our list right here. True, noble, right, pure, lovely, good, virtuous, praiseworthy. Meditate on these things. And I love that Paul tells us that we actually have a measure of control over the things that we set in front of ourselves. He says, yes, actually, we have the ability to choose what we meditate on. That's actually really freeing. I have a measure. When I am in chaos, when I'm in confusion, when I'm worried, I have the ability to say, no, I'm not going to focus on those things. Instead, I'm going to set my mind on these things here. I was thinking through these verses. I was praying over them. Uh, and while I was doing it, I came across another list. I came across a list which is like the anti-Philippians 4.8. It's a really interesting list. It sort of jumped out to me as soon as I saw it. And I want you to imagine that instead of uh, you know, Paul writing this, Paul wrote this to you instead in Philippians 4.8. Imagine that he said, infrequent mild uh, alcohol, tobacco, and drug use, frequent intense mature suggestive themes, infrequent mild realistic violence, infrequent mild sexual content and nudity, infrequent mild profanity or crude humor, infrequent mild cartoon or fantasy violence, infrequent mild horror or fear themes, meditate on these things. Imagine if he wrote that. You would look and you would think, who is Paul? This guy's a pervert. You would look at him and go, this guy's a degenerate. Why would anyone do that? If someone came up to my kids on the street and was like, hey, you should think about some, you know, like crude humor and like mild nudity all the time. We would get in a fight. I would get in a fight with that person, right? Now, where did I find this list? I'm a junior high pastor. I often get questions about a few different things that junior high kids are into. Some of you are in junior high, some of you are in senior high. Um, where did I find this list? This is not a hidden secret list. I didn't have to hack into any like military websites to find this. Uh, this is the age restriction warning for 
Twitch, Reddit, Discord, TikTok. Brian said old people like to make fun of TikTok. Yes, <laughs> I do. I'm not the, uh, actually, no, that's, I, am, I am the anti-social media guy. I, I, I am. I, I know that for any of the junior high kids who are in here who have heard me teach before, this is not new information. Uh, but this is the age restriction warning that's found right there as, while you're downloading the app. This is what's in front of you, right? I mean, I, I'm not kidding around. You just go on the app store, you just scroll down, and there it is. It's right there. Suggestive themes, sexual content, nudity, profanity, crude humor, violence, alcohol, tobacco, drug use, right? Look, uh, let's just boil this down to what it really is, though, okay? So let's take away all the fluff here, and let's just look at the real truth of what they're saying that you should meditate on. Please download our app so we can make money, and while you're doing that, think about drug use, mature suggestive themes, violence, sexual content, nudity, profanity, crude humor, more violence, horror, fear. Meditate on these things. And spend more and more time meditating on these things so we can make more and more money, right? Listen, are you sitting there and your mind is being hypersexualized? When you get home, when you meet different people, the thoughts that you have swirling around in your mind are hypersexualized. When I was in high school, definitely, right? Are you thinking violent things all the time? You're just angry all the time. Is your language becoming more and more crude? Is it becoming more and more profane? Are you afraid all the time? What are you meditating on? What are you putting in front of yourself? What are you allowing to filter into your heart? If we put them next to each other, it's even more clear, right? Whatever is true. Or fill your mind with stuff that actually takes away the absence of truth. I didn't get saved until I was 20, 21, and uh, I was a drug user. I was filling my mind because I was sad all the time, and I was empty, and my life felt purposeless. And I was filling my life with uh, psychedelics, and um, I mean, we would take you know, uh, drugs that gave you the feeling of euth euphoria. Because I wanted to not live in reality. I didn't want to look at what was true. Couldn't take it. Do we want to think about things that are of high moral character and standard or... Mature suggestive themes, that's, you know, sexual stuff, right? Things that are right or things that are violent, things that are pure, or are we going to fill our minds with sexual content? Things that are lovely, pornography, good report, profanity, virtuous, crude, anything praiseworthy, fear, horror. Paul looks at us and he says, straight up, if your mind is in chaos, if your heart is troubled, step one, take it to Jesus. Four, seven. Don't be anxious for anything, but with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known. 
Talk to Jesus about it. Second, take your eyes off of things that are impure and destructive and set your eyes on things that are good. Instead of starting to fill your mind and your brain with poisonous things, fill it with good things. It's almost like I had a big jug of water and I you know, poured just a little bit of poison in it, right? Because you look at something like, you know, uh, YouTube is not like the evil enemy or anything like that, right? But if you're on YouTube, eventually you'll find these things, right? We all know it. We've all been there. You've been surprised by a video that sprang up. You're on TikTok, something pops up, and you're like, whoa, oh, I didn't mean to go there and see that. Now you've got this big jug of water, you put a little bit of poison in it, and you're like, well, some of the water in it is good, so we'll just try and drink the good water, right? Just drink around the poison. But some of it just, oh, okay, just a little bit came up the straw, right? I know that, that, that little bit will make me stick, but the rest of the water is good, so I'll just, you know, that's fine, right? I promised myself I wasn't going to use this analogy, but I'm going to. I used to work at a pool, used to swim, uh, do swimming lessons and stuff when I, when I was younger. And um, when you would work with little kids, I told you I wasn't going to use this analogy. Every now and then, uh, a child would not have as much control over their bowels as you would hope, and you would find something in the pool, right? There's all chlorine, there's all this good water. But there's some not nice stuff in there as well. You want to swim in that? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Philippians chapter 4, 8, Paul says, Stop swimming in the nasty water. Go swim in the good, clean, pure water. And then he moves away from the way that we think into the things that we do. In four nine, he says, The things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. I was thinking about this crew here, these, um, these Philippians, because we've been talking about how Paul thought about them a lot. Right? When Paul thought about Lydia, he remembers being in her house and her feeding him. When he thought about the jailer, you know, Mike was sharing on Monday, they probably have in-jokes about how the jailer beat him, right? The Philippians remember Paul. And Paul says to them here in this passage, hey, the things that you saw me do, do those things. The things that you heard me say, say those things. The things that you received from me, those are the things that you should walk in. And as I was reading through Acts chapter 16, uh, I made a few notes about the things that Paul did. I was thinking, what would they remember about Paul? When they thought about Paul, what would they think about? When they read these verses, what would Lydia think? Right? The things that Paul did, I should do those things. What would that make her think? Or Epaphroditus, or, or even Judea and Syntyche, right? We know these people who are in this church. And when they thought about Paul, what would they think? Right? And uh, this is the list I came up with. As I was going through it, I said, Paul... First, listened to and obeyed the Holy Spirit. Right? He was going to go to uh, another city, and the Holy Spirit said, don't go there, go here instead. And Paul went, okay. And immediately he went, and he listened to the voice of his, of his king. It says, he prayed. 
with the people and for the people there in Philippi. He shared the gospel with the women down by the river. He cared for the weak, those who couldn't care for themselves. The woman who was demon-possessed, he turns around and he commands the demon to come out of her. He spoke against the work of Satan. He worshipped even when he was in distress. You remember he's there in the prison and it's in the middle of the night and he and uh, Silas are are worshipping and singing. And probably there's like 15 people who, when they start singing, there's probably like 15 people like, shut up, right? It's late, got to try to get some sleep. But it says that as they just continue to worship God, it draws the whole prison into a place of worship as well. It's pretty amazing. He worshipped even when he was in distress. He pointed people toward Jesus. He goes to the jailer's house after the earthquake, and he says, believe in Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. He stood up for the truth. At the end of the passage, uh, it says that the um, authorities there in Philippi were like, oh, man, oh, we arrested him unfairly, and oh, this could be bad for us. Just, um, just let him go. Just let him go. And Paul's like, no. No, I'm going to stay here until you guys come down and explain to me why you arrested a Roman citizen and kept me here against my will. I'm going to stand here, and you're going to tell me why you did this wrong thing. Right? Stood up for truth. And as I looked at this verse, um, it became very clear to me. If you just wrote this list of things down and you gave it to someone and said, who is this in the Bible? You would look at it and you would go, that's Jesus. Wouldn't you? Isn't this what Jesus did? When the Philippians thought about what Paul was to them, he was Jesus to them. They loved Paul Because Paul acted like Jesus to them. The Philippian church never saw Jesus. They didn't walk with him in Galilee. They didn't sit with him by the sea. They didn't, you know, come down and, and, uh, you know, see the feeding of the 5,000 people. They didn't see any of these things. They saw Paul and they believed in Jesus. In Galatians 2.20, we just sang it earlier. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There have been people in your life who have shown you Jesus because they loved you the way Jesus would love you. You have seen Jesus in people in your life. We have never seen Jesus walk through. Jesus doesn't come and walk in the room here. If he did, things would become so easy and clear, right? But we have seen Jesus in the people around us. And Paul says to the Philippians, When you do things, when you live, when you act, do them like me. And he was really comfortable saying that because he had been acting like Jesus. As you guys leave here, as you go back to, you know, the Pocono Mountains or Maryland or New York, wherever it is you've come from, Paul looks at you and he says, act like Jesus there. Live like Jesus there. 
Stand up for these things. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Pray. Seek me. Share the gospel with those around you. Care for the weak. Speak against the work of Satan. Worship, even when you're struggling. Point people to Jesus. Stand up for truth. Paul loves this group. And he's so thankful for their generosity to him. He's Imagine the, the state that he's in. He's sitting there in this prison, and maybe he's not eating any food. Maybe he's not getting anything from this group. Uh, I mean, the only reason that Paul has paper and pen and ink to write with is because people brought it to him while he was in prison. The reason that we have this book, the reason that we have the book of Philippians is because someone thought about Paul, loved him, and said, I've got to take him some paper. That guy likes to write. Oh, he probably needs some food too. We have this book because he was cared for by those around him. And Paul now kind of returns to that thought. In verse 10 he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at your last, your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am not to be content. (laughs) Sorry. I just said that completely wrong. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul looks at the Philippian church. He's writing this letter and he says, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for your love toward me. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that your care for me has flourished again. I had a professor in college. He was a believer. And uh, he would say, you know, he was actually a really great professor. He was the kind of person that after he had taught, you wanted to go up and just say, hey, that was great. Thank you very much. You know, I hope you all have a teacher in your life who's been like that. So I would go up to him and here we go, don't thank me. He talked like that, he had this really nasal voice. He's an American though, so he didn't sound like me. He said, don't thank me, thank God for me. I was like, that's awesome. He's like, if you appreciate what has happened today, thank the Lord. He's the one who deserves the glory. He's the one who deserves the credit. Paul looks at them and he says, thank you, Jesus, for the Philippians, for sending me this material, for sending me this food. What an awesome perspective. But he goes on and he says, I've learned a a real secret. Notice that he'd learned it. It wasn't something that just naturally came to him. It was something he had to develop and grow in. He said, I've learned how to be abased, which means brought low and have nothing. And I've learned how to abound. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I've learned the secret of being content. When Paul says he knows how to be abased and how to abound, he's not kidding around. This guy went through it in his ministry. Turn with me, please, real quickly to 2 Corinthians 11. It's just going to go to the left in your Bibles, just a few pages. You're not going to go very far. 
If you get to Romans or 1 Corinthians, obviously you've gone too far. Look at verse 22. Paul says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger, in thirst, in fasting, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Paul writing to the church in Corinth is talking about people who are boasting about how great they are in Christ. And Paul goes, listen, here's my resume. I'll give you my resume. And he does it a little differently in Philippians. In Philippians, he says, I was a Pharisee. I was blameless in the law. Here in Corinthians, he says, 195 times I was whipped for Jesus. If Paul took his shirt off, and you could imagine what his back looks like. A spider web of scarring. Beaten with rods. It's baseball bats, right? Probably one of the times he was beaten with rods was probably the Philippian jailer that we're talking about here. Stoned. In, in Acts it tells us about a story. He's in one particular city where they actually they get so upset with him, they drag him outside of the city and they throw stones at him until he's dead. Now it's as either that they think he's dead or he's like actually dead. And then the disciples come out, the other people who are working with him, sorry, and they come out and they pray for him and he stands up. And what does he do? He goes straight back into the city that just stoned him. He says, I've been shipwrecked three times. Stuck in the deep water for a night and a day. I, I'm not afraid of too many things. Like being shipwrecked and stuck out in the middle of the ocean with no land around, that fills me with a particular sense of dread, right? That one, ugh. You can imagine like something brushes against the back of your leg, right? No, 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 no. He says, in perils of, and then he lists all of these different people, Basically, he says, even when everyone hated me, when everyone wanted to hurt me, the Gentiles, the Jews, right, in the city, in the country, everywhere, when I was hungry, when I was weak. And Paul says, I've learned that in all of those situations, the secret to being content. And we have to take it back to the theme verse from chapter 1. Live Christ, die gain. doesn't really matter what happens to me. If I'm living for Christ, if I'm sold out for him, if I've set my mind on his kingdom and my hope is in his glory, I'm content. 
I can take anything that comes upon me. Flip back to Philippians for me. I've learned to both be full, to be hungry, to abound, and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This uh, very, very famous verse is not written to us so that your famous quarterback can, um, you know, like quote it before he throws a touchdown. Okay, I know it's every sports person's favorite, like, verse. Specifically, in context, this passage is about loving Jesus and living for him even when things are going terribly, right? Yeah, I can live for Jesus when I abound. When I got everything going right, sure, great, no problems. But when things are bad, when things are tough, when things are really, really difficult, I can still live for Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 14, Paul Come on. Come on. There we go. Oh, by the way, uh, just a great place to be when when you are in that place, struggle and difficulty, when things are really going badly. Go to Psalm 61. Let that wash over you. You want something that's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise? Psalm 61 is my place. My daughter burned all of the skin off of her back when she was three years old, and we were in hospital, and... It was horrible. I was at the lowest place, and I was so stressed out. And she's fine. (laughs) She's great. She's eight years old. She's like, you can't even tell. that They did an awesome job. But when I was in hospital, Psalm 61 was the thing that just kept me grounded. Instead of allowing, like, my mind to get to a place of, Lord, why why would you allow this to happen? She's my three-year-old daughter. Why did this, Lord? How could this... No, instead I was able to just say, Lord, hear my cry and attend to my prayer. Listen to me, Lord, please. From the end of the earth I cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When we trust in our own strength, we're always weak. But when we stand on the rock, the firm foundation that is Jesus, the rock that is higher than I, I can do all things through that rock that strengthens me. I can do all things through that Christ who gives me his strength to even worship him, even serve him, even love him when I'm at my lowest. All right, we're going to push on here. We're going to get through it. Verse 14, Paul talks about the way, uh, the way that we should live, but also who we should live for here in this last passage. He does something really beautiful with the gift that the Philippians have sent him. So he says, nevertheless, right, after he's been talking about uh, these guys, you've given me this great gift. Thank you. I praise my God for you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not in need. You've filled me up. I'm abounding now because of your gift. He says, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also, in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, that no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. You're the church that has supported me. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. 
I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, listen, I understand you've sent me this gift and I'm full now. I received what Epaphroditus sent and he brought with him. I've been filled. I have everything I need. But then he says, your gift is a gift not to me. And the reason that you sent that gift is not because you love me. This is really important. Paul takes this gift and he says, I know that you sent it. And what your gift is, is an act of worship to Jesus. Did you guys catch that? He says, this gift, I know, I'm in prison here and I love you guys and you love me. We've acted like Jesus one toward another. It's a beautiful relationship that we have. You sending this gift to me is not a, oh, Paul's in trouble, we need to send it. It's partly that, right? Sure. But it's also an act of worship to Jesus. They sent this gift to Paul, not that Paul would think better about them or love them more. He already loves them. They sent it in response to the calling that Jesus put on their lives. You don't give support to a missionary so that the missionary will come back to your church and love you more right? You don't make a meal for the person who just had a baby so that the person who just had the baby will think that you're the greatest person in the world. You send the support money to the missionary as an act of service to Jesus. You make the spaghetti and meatballs, or when our first daughter was born, we had all these great people make us meals. They made us, um, what's the, what's the baked ziti? They made us bake ziti five days in a row. <laughs> and then on the sixth day, someone made us a roast chicken. And we were like, roast chicken is so good. Oh, man. Oh. I love, I appreciate the bake ziti. I do. But, whew, heavy. Now, you don't make that meal and send it to the person who, right, who's been in the hospital so that they'll think you're a better person or love you more. You do it as an act of service to Jesus. And that's what Paul is claiming here. This gift is not just some food, some money, some paper and pens. It's not just a blanket. This gift is an act of service to Jesus. And the way you have given this, the way you have sent this through Epaphroditus, it has gone as a sweet, smelling aroma to the Lord. When we serve the Lord, it smells sweet to him. What an incredible thought. What an incredible idea. When we do things for the Lord, when we live for him, when we act out of love for Jesus and bless the people around us, when we are Christ to our community, to our friends, to our church, to the lost It smells sweet to the Lord. In front of our house, we have six giant lavender bushes. And right at the start of the summer, they all bloom. As you walk past, you just get that, ah, smells so good. You walk into Starbucks, smell of roasted coffee, right? Ah, it just smells good. You walk home and mom's been baking chocolate chip cookies. 
that smell that permeates the whole house. A sweet-smelling aroma, and you go, oh, chocolate chip cookies, yes, right? Our act of love for Jesus manifesting in the way that we treat the people around us is a sweet-smelling aroma to God the Father. That's awesome. My God, he says, shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ. A couple quick verses just to go along with this. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul said, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in their riches of their liberality. You have to know that the Philippian church wasn't rich. This wasn't the Jeff Bezos church. And they're like, okay, great. Paul's in Philippi. We'll just, I got some, I got like $50,000 just spare change in my pocket. Boom, here you go. The church in Philippi is poor. Their love abounded to Paul in their deep poverty. It says that they gave even though they didn't really have the funds to do it. And Paul says, I know what you guys did. You guys scrimped and saved. Maybe some of you didn't eat food that week. Maybe some of you guys gave extra and you couldn't really afford it. He says, praise the Lord. He's going to supply all of your need. Notice that he doesn't say he's going to supply all of your want here. He's going to supply all of your need. Jesus obviously talks to us about that in Matthew 6. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ uh, Jesus. Again, in Colossians 3.17, Paul said, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, Whether whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And in Matthew 6, particularly important about this passage, he says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Our intentions are important to the Lord. When we serve, when we act in love, when we give in Christian charity, are we doing that so that people will look at us and say, hey, that guy, Dave, he's awesome. Or are we doing it so that that person will say, hey, that God that Dave loves, That God is awesome. That's a big difference, right? That's a big difference. In Matthew uh, 6, Jesus says, actually, if you give with your right hand, don't even let your left hand know that you're doing it. I don't know how that, I don't know how to do that, but that's what he says, right? He says, when you pray, don't pray like the Pharisees do, who walk around, right, for the, the, the praises of man. You know, the Pharisees are walking around, you know, and someone, they, they wait until the person kind of notices them, and then they go, oh, Lord, really loud. I know that you have been so good to me, right? Praying so that people will hear them instead of just doing it unto the Lord, right? Jesus says, go in your closet. Shut the door. Don't let anyone know that you do it. Do it unto the Lord, not unto man. All right, we're going to finish out here with this last little chunk, okay? This is really important. This last little piece is not just a little throwaway, finish out the book, right? Like when you write your email and you're a Christian, you have to write like blessings at the bottom, right? (laughs) Blessings, Dave, send, 
Okay? Right? Or um, like, in the love of the Lord Jesus be with you, send. And I just send it. I put it in my uh, signature, so it just automatically does it. Right? Paul is writing something really important here as he finishes out the letter. Okay? First he says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. Paul is like, hey, listen, all the believers in Philippi, make sure that they all know that I love them. Say hi to all of them from all the people here in Rome. They're going to take this letter and they're going to read it to everyone, right? And then he says, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. That's an incredible little addition right here at the end. If this was me writing back, if I'm the missionary and I've been right serving in a foreign country and I'm writing back, right, because I need some support money, I need to raise some support, I need to let them know that I'm actually being effective, what I'm doing. This is the first thing that I write and I spend 20 minutes talking about it. Paul just tacks it in right at the end. He says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Caesar in Rome at the time is Nero. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon wrote about Nero. He said he was the most depraved and worthless of all men. It's a pretty bold statement. Nero hated the church, persecuted it mercilessly. He would take Christians who wouldn't um, you know, turn away from their faith, and he would take them into his palace gardens, and he would uh, tie them to the stake, and he would burn them at night so that he had light to walk through his gardens at nighttime. Like, this is who Nero is. He's a despicable person. And Paul writes that in Nero's household, there are saints who greet you. Like the most horrible person. And some people around him have heard the words of Paul and have gotten saved. We already know that some of the soldiers, that the Praetorian Guard who are watching him, like Paul's not wasting any time, right? Oh, you're going to be chained to me? No, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, it just means you can't escape. Right? I know I'm in jail, but now you've got to stay here with me. You can't get in the way. We know that some of the, the Praetorian Guard have become believers through Paul's preaching to them. But here, right at the end, Paul says, hey, I know you're worried about me. I know you're stressed. I know you're anxious. I know you think that there's trouble here, that I could die at any moment. But look at what God is doing. Yeah, I'm in prison. People are getting saved. Probably Nero's, you know, mocking, right? Hey, there's this guy, Paul, who's been walking around. He demands an audience with me. He went through Felix, and he went through, you know, these other governors, and now he wants to talk to me. You know, and like Nero's cousin or something. He's like, I gotta go talk to that guy. That guy sounds weird. And he goes and talks to him, and he hears the words of truth, the words of life, and gets saved. Now, I just totally made that up in my head. I did what the Chosen does a little bit. But, uh, I, but it, that sounds good, right? So that's, I just, that's, that's my own like, personal narrative. Uh, and then he finishes with this one line here at the end. Right at the very end, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Grace is a fundamental and vitally important word that you need to understand. This is a really big deal. Grace. Justice is when you get what you deserve. I work eight hours, 
I'm making $8.50 an hour. I get paid whatever 8 times $8.50 is. Someone else can do the math, right? I, I don't make $8.50 an hour. Less. No, no, no. Um, I steal someone's car. I get arrested. I go to jail. Justice, right? You get what you deserve. Mercy is when you don't get a punishment that you do deserve. Stand before the court. I plead on the court's mercy. I know, yes. I know I did this thing. I know I took that thing. I know I stole that thing. I know I punched that guy. Please have mercy. Please don't give me the punishment that I deserve. Your parents, I hope, are probably good at giving mercy. I'm not so good at giving mercy. In my relationship with my children, I am the law. My wife is the mercy, right? That's how it works. Uh, Grace is when you receive something that you don't deserve. Justice, you get what you deserve. Mercy, you don't get what you deserve. Grace, you get something that you don't deserve. Paul finishes out and he says, grace to you. The love of Jesus to you. The power of the Holy Spirit in your life to you. Freedom from sin to you. The ability to walk in truth to you. All things that we don't deserve. Scripture says that while we were still sinners, far away from God, hating him and living deliberately against him, Christ came into the world and died for us. We didn't deserve that. We didn't deserve Christ coming down and being brutally murdered, nails going through his hands, a crown of thorns being jammed down onto his head, people literally ripping the beard from his face, mocking him, spitting on him, yelling at him, And he came while we were opposed to him. While we were opposed to him, while we were standing here saying, I don't want anything to do with that guy. I don't want to know that Jesus. I don't care anything about him. He came for us. And he did that even though we didn't deserve it. And Paul writes to this group of people that he loves. And he knows that he's probably going to die soon. He's going to die in Rome. He's going to die in prison. He knows that that's probably coming. And he finishes by saying the most important, wonderful thing he could to them. Grace. I want to say to you guys, before you leave, grace is available to you. The love of Jesus Christ is toward you. If you haven't heard it this weekend, you should have so many times already in the teachings. But if you haven't heard it, Jesus loves you so much. And he wants to not just redeem you, he does. Not just set you free from sin and darkness, he does. But he wants to be with you. He wants to know you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to be around you. And he's holding out his hand, waiting for you to step up and just Say, yes, I want to be with you too, Jesus. I know what I've done. I know who I was. But you offer me grace, something that I don't deserve, something that I shouldn't receive, and you give it to me freely.
if you have never taken that step, if you have never settled yourself before the Lord and said, I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't, I don't want to be anxious and afraid and chained up and opposed to you, but I want what some of the other people in this room have, the love toward you, the freedom to live for you, the hope of eternity. If you've never taken that step, Scripture says today is the acceptable day of salvation. He is calling to you today. The Bible says that God desires that no one should perish, but all should come to repentance. He wants you today. And I want to extend that opportunity to you today before you leave. I want to say, if you want to know the grace and the love of Jesus and the freedom of living for him, if you have never taken that step, I want to offer you that opportunity, that chance right now. Okay? So here's what I'm going to do. I just want everyone just to just bow your heads real quick. So everyone bow your heads. We're going to pray here in a minute. I'm going to have the worship team. You guys can come on up. But if you've been sitting in here and you've been saying, the love that these people are talking about, the hope that these people have, I want that hope. This Jesus who they know, I want to know this Jesus. If you want to take that step of faith today and say, yes, I want to lean on Jesus. I want you just to, Everyone, no one's looking. Everyone's got their head bowed. Everyone got, everyone's got their eyes closed. Just wherever you are, I just want you to stand up, just wherever you are. If you want to say, yes, I choose Jesus today, just stand up where you are. If you want to call out upon the name of the Lord and say, I'm looking for forgiveness and freedom and hope. All right, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that your love is towards us and that your forgiveness is available to us, Lord. And we know that, Lord, no matter where we go, what we do, that, Lord, you are with us. And, Father, that, Lord, everything that we have in this world, everything that we have, Lord, in this life, it's all because of grace. It's all because you give it to us, Lord, even when we don't deserve it. So, Lord God, just pray for those people here in this room, Lord, who want to know you in a deeper way, a truer way, who want to see you face to face, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would give them that hope of eternity. And Lord, I pray that you would help all of us, Lord, to take our minds off of the junk of this world and set it on the things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely. That you would help all of the people here with us, Lord, be Jesus to those around us. We can do it through you, who strengthens us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.